church that's on fire for God. We are the army of God. We'll dare to discuss what most churches never will and strive always to speak the truth in love. We are watchmen, warriors, victors. Together, we will fight the good fight and finish strong. This is David Hebner Live. So um, the other day I, I get in the car and um, I put my mask on like this, say, like that. And my, my daughter says, Dad, your mask is on backwards. I said, what do you mean my mask is on backwards? She goes, yeah, your mask is on backwards. I said, wait, let me see this. Because, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes, especially if it's night. And sure enough, my mask is on backwards. Now, she, she said, Dad, you know what you're doing when your mask is on backwards? That all of this germ stuff that you've been, you know, catching here, you're actually putting it against your face and breathing it in. And the good side is, you know, it's on, in other words, your mask is on backwards. And then, you know, I got to thinking, could it be that if God has a mask, which metaphorically, and stay with me on this, could it be a lot of Christians, we have our spiritual mask on backwards? In other words, you see, God's mask, here's the way God's mask works, is when you have it on properly, the evil cannot get in to us as God's people. It cannot penetrate that, that shield, that mask. Yet, our power, our words goes through the mask and defeats the enemy. But you see, when you have it on backwards, what happens is the evil can get in. But our words, our power can't go out. And I thought, that's it. God's people, the church, for all these years, centuries, have slowly been wearing the mask backwards. So here's the question. Sickness, you know, disease, relationship issues, uh, fear, loneliness, generational curses. We've had these financial, you know, people has been, have it's been devastated the past four or five months. And you ask yourself, why am I in this place? I'm, I'm a child of God. Why, why am I at this place? Why am I feeling this pain? And you're looking for a miracle. But the miracle hasn't come. And by the way, all a miracle is, let's, let's get this simple. All a miracle is... <clears throat> It's a supernatural in intervention into the natural. And that's what you call a miracle. You have a dream. You have a vision. God's given you a mission, all right, to do something. But yet, <clears throat> can't seem to get on first base. But I want to ask you a question. Do you have God's mask on? Not this mask. Throw this thing away. But do you have God's mask on backwards tonight? Tonight, I'm believing we're, many of us are going to take that mask, that spiritual mask, we're going to flip it around and wear it the correct way. Now, 
What are some of the ways we know we have the mask on backwards, all right? Well, political correctness means uh, you can't say anything as a Christian because it's not politically correct, right? Or this, you know, this, this crazy fake love stuff that the apostate churches come up with, <clears throat> love everybody, you know, just love everybody. In other words, don't say anything that's going to ruffle any feathers, just love them to death, you know, slobber all over them. Wrong, spiritual mask on backwards, okay? But what happens when it's on the proper way? You walk into a room, you spot a demon, the demon shakes. Demon, you have no right to be here. You are gone in the name of Jesus. The demon explodes, is gone. That's the spiritual mask worn properly. Healing. In the name of Jesus, I'm asking for a healing. Boom. Healing. Because here's the thing. Jesus talked about mountains. He talked about uh, the fig tree. You know, the Bible talks about all, all these things that we can do. Jesus said we, we can do greater things than he. Well, I am waiting to see what those greater things are. And we're going to be asking our guests tonight. We're going to be asking our guests tonight <clears throat> exactly why. We're not hitting the mark. Anyway, it's so good to be with you uh, every Monday night at 8 p.m. <laughs> Just spiritual mass. Does that, I want you to um, chime in on chat and tell me some other ways that we might have our spiritual mask on backwards and then tell me some ways that we have it on properly, okay? And I'm believing tonight there's going to be a lot of masks flipped around right now in the name of Jesus. Boom, flipped around. Now everybody, we're walking in power, all right? So uh, thanks for being with us. Mark 5, 35 through 43. Let's go to Mark 5, Jared. Um, now, Jesus had been told by a synagogue leader uh, Christ that um, he, well, he had been asked if he would heal the, the, the leader of the synagogue's daughter. And uh, so Jesus is on his way to heal, to perform a miracle. But all of a sudden, he, there's a diversion. There's a woman of blood, you know, the 12 years of blood. She went to every doctor. She touched his robe. He stopped. He had a conversation. Who touched my robe? The power went out of me. He, Jesus was on his way to heal, but he wasn't like, you know, freaking out. I got to get there right away. All right, so let's go to verse 35. Um, when Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came uh, uh, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Okay. Now, first of all, when we ask God to do something, we want God to do it on our time. And just like Jesus had his time to heal this child, he was going to do it on his time. But we want to play God and say, God, I want it now. All right. And then when people come to us and say, hey, your dream is dead. I'm sorry, there's no hope. Uh, your family's broken. It's that final divorce. There is no hope, okay? That's what happened to the synagogue leader. Why bother anymore, teacher Jesus? <clears throat> Why even walk toward that direction? She's dead. Your request is not going to be granted. Your miracle ain't going to happen. And your dream is dead. That's what the devil says. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, you can't allow Satan to come in with fear and unbelief in your, your miracle, your dream, your vision, your healing. You can't wear your mask on backwards. You got to keep it on proper. 
where the evil cannot affect you, but yet you speak and you affect the evil. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, and the brother of Jesus. Now, this is really important, okay? Jesus understood the principle of knowing who to have around you. In other words, folks, we got way too much baggage around us, way too much negativity, all right? Your inner circle only should be those who will support you even in the midst, listen to me, even in the midst of a hurricane, they will support you. They will be there. They may not necessarily agree with you. They might not even believe in it, but they're going to be there with you. They're going to stick with you. So I want you to ask yourself, look around. Do you have people that will stick with you because they, they love you no matter what, how hard it gets? All right. Let's go 38. When they came to the home synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. <laughs> but they laughed at him. So Jesus walks into a place. He tells them, why are you crying? The child's not dead. He gives them the hope. Instead of taking the hope because they're, the, the crowd is looking logically and they're looking at the natural, they're not going to believe what you are expecting, which is your miracle, which is your healing, which is the power coming out of you. The, you, the people around you are going to look at the natural. All right? Now, after he put them all out, and by the way, Jesus did put them all out. He, he told them to leave. And after he told them to leave and put them all out, he took the child's hand. Uh, he, took the, he took the child and the father and the mother and disciples who were with him and went in there where the child was. Okay, so he got rid of the naysayers. He took the mother and the father, the people that had a vested interest, he took the disciples, the people that would, that would support him, all right? And he went into the place where the miracle had to happen. Folks, here's the problem. Take only those that you have vetted, those that you've prayed about, and you say, God, I believe this is my core. This is my core group. This is who supports me. See, you guys are my core. You're, you're, you're who I depend on, and I hope that you depend on me. I, you know, I hope that I can, I can be a part of, of, of your uh, spiritual growth. I, I pray that because you sure are for me. You guys pray for me. You pray for my wife. You pray for this program, uh, for, uh, for this Monday night gathering. And, and, and the proof, the proof is here. Okay. God always shows up. He always lets me leave on a higher level than when I came in. So, Get the naysayers out of the room. When you have a miracle, get rid of the people that's going to laugh at you. Get rid of the people that's not going to believe. All right? So he took the little girl by the hand, and he said, get up. Get up. He spoke the words. Get up. Very simple. You see, God gave us the power not the power to get up and cite the Gettysburg Address. We don't need to be talking and yapping all over the place. We just need to speak simple words. Mountain move. Disease, you are gone. Child, you are healed. 
Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. She gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, Jesus didn't want them to say anything because his time had not yet come. He knew what he had to do. You and I, his time has already come. You and I are the opposite. When we have our spiritual mask on properly, we are to say things. We are to proclaim it to the world. Look what God has done. Look at this miracle. Look, it's not about me. It's about me praying, but it's about God answering my prayer and taking care of business the way God loves to take care of business for his children. All right, so I want to know what you think about it. Uh, I'm going to bring Pastor Mike on before we bring our, our guest on uh, tonight. Pastor Mike, are you there with me? I'm not even sure if he showed up tonight. You there, buddy? Hello. Well, maybe he's not there. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a I a am quick here, David. Oh, you are there. Okay. All right. So, Pastor, here's my question. The spiritual mask, you know, I've talked about um, where we shouldn't let the evil in, but we should be the one to dominate the room. In other words, shouldn't we be have the strength? Shouldn't we have the shouldn't? Look. You got all these Black Lives Matter, and boy, I tell you, when they walk into a room, they're going to walk into a room, they're going to burn things down. But we as Christians, shouldn't we spiritually burn things down? Shouldn't the devil be afraid of us? Absolutely, Jed. So we're in the mask. So I'm listening to, to you talk about this, David, and, and I'm thinking, well, wearing the mask inside out, that would be um, doubt. That would be fear. That would be uncertainty that would be a, a lack of familiarity with god's promises so all of those things work to counter what we should know as believers and when we know what we should know we wear the mask correctly and we go forward in courage amen brother i couldn't have said it any better i mean you filled in all the blanks pastor we're going to be talking about um, the things we cover. By the way, we have a brand new radio show uh, that's just coming out next week on TV called Truth in the News, where we cover current events. Pastor Spaulding and I, I'm excited about that, that show that we, that we just finished uh, recording. Yeah, me too, David. It's, it is fantastic, and I think people are really, really going to enjoy it. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, would you stay with me as we go underground tonight? Because I want to talk about um, John MacArthur's church, about what's happened recently. I want to talk about the movie oh, Cuties. Sure. Cuties, sure. some, some new yeah. things have just developed. I'm talking about last night. I want to share that and get your would – you, would you stay with us sure. and go underground? Absolutely. Right, Absolutely will. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. God bless you. All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Jay Warner Wallace at – former homicide detective, now turned Christian, investigating Christianity. He calls it cold case Christianity. I'm going to be asking Jay Warner Wallace, why in the world, if Jesus said we can move a mountain and greater things that we can do than he, why ain't that happening? Stay with me. We'll be right back. If you like me, and you're tired of organized religion. The same kind of preacher preaching feel-good sermons. I'm a mom raising two kids, and I want them to hear the truth. I'm a gatherer right here on David Heavener Live 
every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, where we learn what it means to be a real Christian, to cast our demons, heal the sick, and fight the good fight. I'm not famous, and I'm certainly not rich, but I'm a child of the living God, and I stand on truth. I hope you'll join me and many others right here on David Heavener Live, where we learn to use our God-given power to chew gum and kick the devil's rear end and I'm all out of gum they've made many many movies about aliens but the question is are they angelic or demonic why don't they want to acknowledge uh, the supernatural. A lot of the seminary education today, that when pastors are being trained, there's no emphasis on the supernatural, even though the Bible's a supernatural book. As in the days, days of no, uh, so it will be. Yeah. And it goes down to, well, what is their ultimate purpose? Inaugurate the Antichrist. Hey everybody, David here. So good to be with you. Thank you for all your prayers, for your encouragement. Um, without your prayers, we couldn't do this. And we have over 600 prayer warriors. This is our church. Okay, it's my church. It's your church. It's God's church. And I just want to thank you for your prayers. And if God leads you to become a partner and, and help us financially uh, as a monthly partner, just one time, I'd appreciate it. You can text the word CHOSEN to 91999. And I love that word CHOSEN, 91999. All right, so here's the thing. You ever watch television? and you see these, uh, uh, these homicide shows on, you see this investigative reporting that goes on. In the show about cold cases, they pull out cases from years ago that's been forgotten, that no one seems to care about anymore, and then somebody comes along, a detective, and they pull this thing out, they dissect it, and all of a sudden, it's solved, and the person that went to prison uh, uh, wrongly gets out and the person that should have gone to prison ends up going to prison. In other words, there's justice. Well, my next guest spiritually, uh, I'd say spiritually performs the same, it operates in the same manner. All right. But here's my question. If Jesus performed all these miracles and said that greater things we can do. I want to know why aren't we doing these greater things? What are these greater things? And also about moving the mountain, pulling up the fig tree. You know, I'm wondering all these things. And who better to tell us than Jay Warner Wallace, who uh, uh, does what we call cold case Christianity. Mr. Wallace, you there with us, buddy? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Now, you are a former detective, but yeah. you're still working on cold cases, right? Yeah, I get to consult now, which is nice because it means I can do this when I have time to do it. <laughs> I'm not obligated to do it. You know that. But it's funny when you when you work in a situation where you have to work. It's very different than when you work in the same exact setting, doing the same stuff, but you don't have to do it anymore. Oh. I mean, both of these have joy involved, but there's certainly it, much more joy in the second option. So, a, a, amen. Now, why cold case Christianity? You became a Christian. Mm -hmm. You were a, a uh, for, your former uh, um, detective, homicide detective. Right. Why cold case Christianity? Why? 
Well, I just traces back my own story. So I was not raised in the church uh, here in Southern California. It was very easy to grow up in the 60s and 70s without any exposure to Christianity. I didn't have any, never invited to church, uh, didn't know friends growing up who were uh, Christians. So I ended up not really engaging anything uh, from Scripture until about the age of 35. And by that time, I was already working cases, and I, I had a process in place by which I could test eyewitnesses. And so I, that's just the way I'm wired. So I first bought my first Bible uh, and looked at it like a case. You know, how do I know that these witnesses who allegedly are describing events that they say happened in a certain sequence, how do I know that any of that's true? And this is often the case with supplemental reports back from 40 years ago on a case and now everyone's dead and all I have is a supplemental report. Well, you know, I don't have access to the eyewitnesses anymore. I have to test these things in a certain way. So for me, that's really was my entry point into looking at scripture to decide if it was telling me the truth about Jesus. And then afterwards, you know, I, I, I was interested enough that I wanted to catch up. You know, I, I had a, my background was in the arts before I became a detective. And then after I became a Christian, I went out to a seminary here, the Golden Gate Baptist Theological. And I got my seminary degree in theology because I really wanted to know, not just, you know, I knew I could re reassemble what happened in history, but I'm still trying to process the inferences from evidence in Scripture. And so I think it's important sometimes to, to take another step with uh, in a more formal process. And I did that, too. So, you know, because I watched some of your videos and I was very, very impressed and uh, got impressed things in my heart. But I want to get right to the questions I have. And I think maybe sure. a few of our audience has. And you heard me say it before. If we can do all these, if we have the power God gave us. Right. And Jesus said to that mountain move and yeah. he said, greater things you'll do. And he talks about, you know, trampling on serpents. And, you, you know, right. we know that. Sure. Um, Mr. Wallace, why isn't it happening? Because in a court of law, if they were to bring in that Jesus, which I don't think is the real Jesus, he would be deemed a liar. Uh, can you explain? I mean. Can you explain any of that to us? Okay, so let's just take a look at it from the perspective of, you know, again, anytime you're, you're talking about, um, if I said to you last night the uh, Lakers killed the Clippers, uh, you'd want to say, well, and, and, I, and I suspect the next week, uh, uh, let's say it's Boston Celtics are going to kill the Lakers. Well, you're going to want to know what I mean by that word kill. Because if I mean it literally, am I describing a homicide? Or if I mean it figuratively, it's an entirely different, and by the way, both of the statements, when I make that statement coming out of my mouth, I meant what I said, but you have to try to figure out, well, what is the inference, proper inference from the context of our conversation to be able to know what I mean by that word kill. So when we say that, that Jesus tells us that we are going to move mountains, that do we really think, or that we're going to be able to accomplish greater uh, um, achievements, greater um, um, things than he. Yeah. The question really is, do we think then that that, does he mean that we're going to be able to work miracles like Jesus? Does he mean that we're going to be able to walk on water or something greater? Or is there some other context in which that statement could be made and be true, but it might not involve the power of, of having the power of God? So I think part of it is, is that do we expect as humans, because Jesus is not a human. Jesus is God incarnate. So if he has power. We would say that I don't expect to have all the power that Jesus has. I'd have to have the power of God to have the power of Jesus. But there's a, a way in which 
we are told by Jesus that we will accomplish great things, that we have power through the Holy Spirit. But does this mean that we have the you know page by page equivalent power of the New Testament Jesus? I don't think many of us would say that. We'd say there's got to be some way because that, that would require us to have the power of God. Mm -hmm. uh, be, to be omniscient, to be omnipotent, to be omnibenevolent, all the things that even Paul says. Look, I know what I should be, he says in Romans 7. I, I can't do it. I mean, I, I know what I should do, I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and I end up doing it. I mean, so so even Paul did not have the power of God in that sense. Right, so but you're not... Ask the question, what do we mean then when Jesus makes this statement in its context? What does that mean for us in the 20, 21st century? Okay, okay. And what does that mean? Well, I think what it means is, is that we are going, we have great power. We have the power of eternal life that God has given us, right? And yeah. we have the power to do great things in this life, and we will be assisted by God. But wouldn't you say, for example, if you were to see something on television or on the Internet tomorrow in which uh, a preacher is someplace, uh, say, raising a dead person, I suspect that this, you'd be a bit suspicious about that. You'd want to test it at least. You might see it and say, well, wow, that's amazing. But you, I, I, I for one, I think Scripture helps us to, we're to test all spirits. I think we would want to test to make sure that that's not a con, that that really happened the way it did, right? Well, why do we do that? Because we have a sense in which we already know, we anticipate that, yeah, that we can do great things through the Spirit. I'll give an example of this. Um, I serve with a ministry in, in Samaritan's Purse that does Operation Heal Our Patriots. Mm -hmm. And it's just a service. It's a it's a it's a uh, uh, ministry to wounded veterans and their spouses who come back and their marriages have been damaged before they even left. They go to this terrible war. They come back to whatever conflict they're serving in, and now their marriages are really struggling. And it was a single idea that started this ministry, which now has already blessed thousands of veterans and spouses. In a way that is just unimaginable. I mean, if you, if I, I look at that, I look at this, and I see myself. If I were to create this, this company that did this, I, I don't know. I could ever expect to to, to to end up where they've ended up because they simply followed God's calling and allowed the Spirit of God to work through every counselor, every moment of. And, and I've seen amazing things happen in couples. And I'm looking at that and saying, hey, but for the work of God and the people who wanted to do this ministry, this would never have happened. Greater things that we can't even have imagined in the first century are happening right. every day today under the banner of Christ. Yeah. That the people, if you'd have told those first century Christians, someday you're going to see this happen under the name of Jesus. They just said, no way. The global movements, just the power of some of the ministries that we get to work and partner with. It's pretty clear that that's God working in the world today. And I think yeah, you mean, that category of greater things than I. So you mean like uh, two guys getting on talking back and forth like we're doing along with, you know, hundreds and thousands of other people watching at the same time and downloading uh, to hear exactly. the gospel. That's you. You mean those oh, kind of all of that would have to, to would have to be assessed as, as who would have imagined this even mm. 10 years ago? Yeah let alone 2,000 years ago. Right. And, but now, what about miracles? Now, you and I okay. haven't talked, so we, there's no, you know, a lot of times people will question and vet and all that. We don't, we don't do that. We let the Holy Spirit move. But because what we're talking about, what you're talking about, what I just mentioned about th this communication, that's, that's a logical system. That's a, 
it's a natural system. I mean, you can you can logically say these guys are on the internet. You can logically say these guys, these right. other guys built a ministry. Like, what about miracles? What about the intervention of the supernatural into the natural? Well, I, I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that miracles ceased at the closing of the canon of Scripture. I believe that the God of the first century is the God of the 21st century, and His power, as expressed in the first century, will be no different than His power now. I think what happens to us, though, is that we often, you know, we're not sensitive to God's actions in the world because at our heart, we are kind of philosophical naturalists, right? What we do is we have a tendency to attribute to coincidence, to chance, just got lucky. We even use those words as Christians. Boy, that was lucky. Did that well, really? And now, at the same time, I'm always careful not to attribute every domino that falls to the work of God. But I know that there are times when I have ignored the work of God and attributed a healing, attributed something either to natural processes or to the work of a doctor right. or to just luck and chance. And yeah. I think that's part of our problem, right? That it's not so much that God is working any less. It's that we are less likely to attribute to God the things that are happening in our lives. Yeah. So in other words, we credit the doctor, the hospital, the medicine. A lot of times we don't credit God for making the events, the, the events happen, fall into place, which cause the healing. Yeah, I can give you an example of this. The story, the backstory, for example, on how that ministry I was telling you about yeah. um, uh, came to be is... is it had to fall a certain way in a certain range of time that if you'd have guessed this in advance, you'd say, there's no way that's going to happen. It's just too narrow. Too much has to happen in such a narrow period of time. And it turns out all of those things did happen. Now, at the end of that, I can say, well, wow, they got lucky. <laughs> you know, luck happens to bad people too. Or I can say, well, actually, maybe there's something more than luck involved in that. Maybe that whole thing really shouldn't have happened, but for the work of God in those what we appear to be coincidences and, and chance. So I think a lot of it for me, and I can tell you that if you spent your entire life at 35 years attributing everything to luck and chance, yeah. then what happens is as you become a Christian, you still have to kind of stop yourself from that continuing habit of, a, of attributing everything to luck and chance and yeah. say, well, maybe, maybe that odds against that happening are just so ridiculous that there's no way this would have happened without God's intervention. Yeah, yeah. Before we go, I have one last question. Uh, mm -hmm. We got about two minutes left before we take a break. Okay. The resurrection. Yes. If you were, as a detective, brought into court and you found the resurrection to be true, but yet it was on trial. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ was on trial. Did he really uh, raise, was he raised from the dead? Did it really happen? But you, as the detective, had found the truth and they brought you into court and you had to testify. Yeah. What would be one of the top things on your list that you would say? Well, okay. So I, I actually got a chance to do this in a movie called God's Not Dead 2. So they gave me six minutes on the stand in front of the cameras to make a case for why, in a court setting, for why I, I trust what the eyewitnesses have to say about the resurrection. Now remember, eyewitnesses really don't operate that way in court. I cannot bring in a document as an eyewitness account. Every accused has the right to face his accuser. So therefore, if I don't have the actual witness, I, can, I can't even use somebody who says, yeah, I talked to the witness and the witness, no, no, I need to be able to have the witness in court. But you cannot use that standard, hearsay standard, for historical events, because that means you couldn't trust anything 
for which you didn't have a way. You couldn't trust what, what you know about your great-grandparents because you got that from your grandparents. And they're not around anymore, so, so you can't trust any of that now. Well, no, of course, historical events, we have a different standard. But based on that standard, the question is, do the historical documents actually check out? Do, can, we, can we test them in some way? And if we did test them in some way, would they pass the test? And that's what I think I would try to do in court. I would show the way. There's four ways we test eyewitnesses. It's very common in every jury uh, trial. In California, we have jury instructions for those four, four things. I simply applied those four tests to the gospel authors, and they passed the test. So then what do you do with this? Look, I didn't like it. I, I don't, I'm not looking to be a Christian. That wasn't my goal. I didn't have a messed up life I was trying to fix. I wasn't raised in the church. And it doesn't even work for me today. But the reality of it is, it's true. And I would much rather be in the truth, even if it's inconvenient, than be in a convenient lie. And so I'm here, even though there are times, you'll have to admit, even in this culture, that if, if young people think that Christianity is somehow going to serve them in some way, oh, get ready. It's not going to serve you at all. It's going to be nothing but the thing that people mock you for. So in that sense, it better be true because it will no longer be convenient. So. So what you're saying, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you brought in the writings, these, these historical writings from men that probably never connected with one another uh, on that issue. They all had pretty much the same account. And you're looking at four separate writings going, there is no way this could happen. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, what, the reality of it is, is that Luke was an associate of Paul. So Luke's gospel taps in, and he says this in the first chapter, I am not an eyewitness to Jesus, but I do know who the eyewitnesses are. And from those statements, I have assembled this. And he quotes Mark, parts of Matthew's gospel are in Luke. So these folks clearly had contact with one another, but they had their own perspective. And you'll see things in each gospel that are unique to each gospel and some things in each gospel that are common. And that's okay. That's very common, for example, when I interview eyewitnesses. There will be aspects of the eyewitness testimony that's pretty much identical. And then there's aspects where you're thinking, really, how can these five people have seen this thing just two hours ago, yet seem to be this different in their re recollection of it? And it's only been two hours. But we actually want to preserve those differences. And so when I get called out to a murder scene, the first thing I tell the dispatcher is, have the officers on the scene separate the eyewitnesses, because I do not want them talking to each other. So when I get there, there's just one claim made five times. Know what I want are the five confusing places they look contradictory, but I know they're not. My job is to puzzle those back together. And in the end, I'll end up with one large narrative with each puzzle piece. I do this in every criminal trial. I simply did the same thing with the Gospels. Right. But what, what, what I'm saying is when they didn't connect with one another, there was nobody actually physically there to see what happened. You know, Luke gave an account of, of, of what was said. But these guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a detective and everybody's saying exactly the same thing, then you might say to yourself, wait a minute, somebody got together and decided to write an essay and memorize it. But, okay, well, so, for example, if they didn't actually see this themselves, I'm out. I'm not a Christian at all, unless this is a very early document written by people, John, Matthew, and actually Papias, an early bishop in the church, says that Mark is writing the account of Peter as he heard it in Rome. So I would suggest that Mark's account, and I did a lot of work on this in Cold Case Christianity, to show you how Peter's fingerprints are in Mark. So I think you have three accounts that are actually from people who saw Jesus personally. But yeah. you had to make that case, 
You have to examine it under those four criteria. Were they there? Was it written early enough to have been written by people who actually knew and saw Jesus? Number two, it can be corroborated in some way. Number three, were they honest and accurate over time or did they change their story? Number four, do they possess a bias that would cause them a motive that would cause them to lie to us? So that's the test. And I actually would argue that those, that three of those four, and remember Luke was there in the book of Acts. He's only a couple of years behind the scene, behind the action. And in the book of Acts is where he slips in the first person several times. When he's talking about his journeys with Paul, he slips in the first person because he's there. And then he talks about having met everyone who he interviewed for his gospel of Luke. And so I think we have early accounts. I can make a case for that. But the point is that if they were not early, David, I would not be a Christian today. If they were written, the best way to lie about Jesus is simply to wait till everyone who knows the truth is dead. If that's what happened, I'm out. But it's not a late account. It's actually written early enough to have been written in the lifetime of people, number one, who saw it, and number two, who also would know if it wasn't true. That, that fact alone, that you've got a living fact checkers because you're writing it early, that is very helpful for me as an investigator. Wow, amazing. You know, we're not going to take a break. I'm going to go right into my last question with you because um, I, I believe it's important. Um, yeah. You've worked a lot of cases, um, uh, homicide Mm -hmm. cases, I assume, where mm -hmm. uh, you're, uh, you know, you're, someone was convicted, maybe they shouldn't have been, or maybe, you know, they weren't convicted and they should have been. Did yeah. you ever see, Mr. Wallace, did you ever see something happen that's hard to explain that you would consider a miracle happen in any of your cases where you really believe that God's hand came down and manifested itself as a miracle in one of your cases. Okay, well, I can tell you, so my cases are all unsolved when I start, so that no one's ever gone to jail for these things. I gotta figure out who did it 35 years after the fact. And one of the early cases I did involved a woman who was killed at a fast food restaurant. And I will tell you that that, that case was so bizarre. I've always wanted to write about it, maybe someday I will. Um, the way it, it fell together for me, and the way uh, I connected with the victim's family, and ultimately um, um, had long conversations about Jesus with that victim's family. They were Christians and realized that I had already been connected to that family for a number of years unknowingly, even though we live in a very large basin, the Los Angeles basin is very large yeah. and they're on one, one edge, I'm on the other edge. But it turns out that we actually uh, were, that the, the guy who was going to ultimately come and solve a case that had been unsolved for 30 years was actually a youth pastor to a, a cousin in this family. We all had all these weird connections. Oh. And in the end, I remember uh, they asked me years later when the victim's mother died, they asked me to do the funeral. And, uh, you know, the case had been solved. It had been on Dateline. Uh, the Dateline producer came to the funeral. Uh, it was just an amazing kind of series of events. And as I'm doing the funeral, we're not at the gravesite, and I'm doing the funeral for this woman who died. And I back up and I can feel I'm standing on a headstone in one of the flat headstones. I didn't want to do that. So I stepped off the headstone so I'd be back on the grass as I'm finishing this graveside service. And I looked down and I realized that the headstone I was standing on was the victim's headstone. They had buried her mom right next to the victim. And as I sat there and kind of saw this connection between the, the victim, who, uh, I, whose case I solved, and the mother who now a couple of years later I am putting in the ground at the funeral, I thought to myself, wow, you know, the odds of that, just the odds of all of these, again, do I attribute this to luck and chance? 
or do I attribute this that maybe God had in mind that I was supposed to come in and do this work years later because the healing value it had on that family was different than maybe if somebody else had solved it 10 years earlier. Wow. Uh, so, so even the waiting period of 35 years might have been in God's timing. Again, because I'm such a skeptic to begin with, I always resist such notions. But if I had to look at one of those, I, why am I resisting that? I'm only resisting it because I'm being a jerk, right? And the reality of it is I got to well, stop attributing to chance and, and luck the things that really I should be giving to God. So, so let me just get this straight. I understand. So you went back and pulled out a cold case from years ago of a woman that was uh, murdered at a fast food restaurant. You solved right. the case. You solved the yes. case. You, you found out who, who killed her. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, now, was it her mother? Who, so what was happened was, yeah, this, this lady's name was Robin, Robin Hoynes. It's on okay. Dateline, it's pretty public, uh, the family's yeah. close, I can mention it publicly. A lot of my cases I try to cloak in some way, but I don't need to cloak that one. Oh. But as I'm working this case, um, I found out that, you know, the person who knew Robin best, and I always want to profile my victims, what, it was not her, her parents. As, as she got a little bit older, she became a Christian, and at the time, her parents were not. So okay. she became very close to her youth pastor. So I called her youth pastor to learn something about Robin. And I happened to mention to this youth pastor, yeah, you know, I'm working as a youth pastor myself right now. I was bivocational at the time. Okay. And I'm at a different part of the county, I mean, you know, an hour drive away. And I'm working for a pastor. And I gave this, this youth pastor the pastor's name that I was now working with. He says, oh, I, he used to be in our youth. As a matter of fact, he was in our youth pastorate as a, as a kid. This pastor I was now working with. So I happened to get on the phone with that pastor, my, my boss. Okay. And I happened to mention I was working this case. And I said, yeah, I'm working this case of this woman who was working in a fast food restaurant and she was killed. Robin Hines. I said, how do you know Robin? I know I was in that youth pastorate with Robin when she was murdered. So I had been working with this pastor for years who, who knew Robin personally. I just had discussed my cases. At, who was at, with her? Yeah, who was with her when she got these murdered? connections just became wow. like ridiculous. And so. And how many years ago is that that she got Murdered. She was killed, I think, in '84. Wow. So you're and talking I I 30. The case in 2006. Okay. And and then so who? What grave did you step on? You lost me there. I know that uh, it was it was Robin's grave, right? That you. Yes, were... I was stepping. I was standing on Robin's. I just did, took it for granted. I wasn't sure where we were burying uh, her mom years later. Okay, so uh, you're you're burying Robin's mother. Okay, yeah. you're there at the burial site. Yes, okay. and I'm doing and the service because the family asked me, because this process of convicting Robin's killer had, be some, had become so cathartic for the family that okay. it, it, changed, it brought people to faith, it changed a lot of dynamics. People who had put their life on hold because they cannot move forward because Robin uh, was dead, um, suddenly have were released to move forward. Uh, so there's an aspect of that. It doesn't often happen that way, but there's an aspect of that in these yeah. cases that does happen. So, And whose grave were you, did you step on? So I'm standing on Robin's tombstone as I'm doing her mother's burial. And it's just, it, that, that in itself is not that and you, amazing. And you so didn't know that. Okay. I, I looked down and I realized, wow, <laughs> this is why I'm here. I'm here wow. because God allowed me to, to solve this case. And then I was able to do all of this work with a family. With and finally gets to that point where we're doing a funeral service. Wow, the spiritual aspect of it. Okay, are you, you're still the detective. Do I still call you Detective Wallace? Yeah, people still call me that. What's great about it now is I get to say, I'm, I'm always, I always say this, David, I love working for free now because when you work for free, you can say I'm not working today. So <laughs> okay. that's part of what I try to do. All right, well, that, that, that's great. Um, 
Well, Detective Wallace, I really appreciate you being on, and uh, God bless you for all your work that you do. Well, thanks and, you for know, having me, David. I really appreciate you guys. Sure. Is there a website that uh, people can go to to learn more about you? Yeah, uh, all of our stuff is at, and we, uh, again, because I was such a skeptic for so many years, I was always suspicious of Christians who were trying to sell something. So I don't, that's not my goal. Uh, what we try to do at coldcasechristianity.com, coldcasechristianity.com, is we try to offer as much as we can that is free, PDF files, articles. There's probably 1,000, 1,200 free articles, videos, and uh, podcasts that are hosted on that site right now. So if you're interested in what the case looks like, the case for Christianity, that's a good place, I think, to start. And you can just read through our articles and watch our videos. You'll get a good sense of why the case is so strong. All right. That's great. Thank you so much, Detective Wallace. Hey, thanks God for having you. me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Jay Warner Wallace, detective, uh, still detective. Uh, that's something I just learned. Uh, we're works cold cases still now uh, he uh, devotes his life to cold case christianity okay when we come back we're going to go underground we're going to talk about things that i am not going to talk about we're going to unplug from youtube we're not going to talk about it in youtube or facebook or uh you know but we're going to stay uh, by the way i think we're connected to before it's news uh but we're going to unplug for from everything except david TV. Now, we're sending out a link to everyone, so you can go ahead, and if you haven't joined, go to davidheaven.tv, join, so you can go underground with us and be a part of this, folks. Um, I really believe there's going to come a day where we are going to be not, uh, uh, we're not going to voluntarily unplug ourselves. It's going to be forced unplugging, where we are going to be cut off. And this is our platform, davidheavener.tv. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what's the future of the church. And also, there's now truly, it's been documented, verified, child pornography, pedophilia on mainstream television. And yet, nobody's doing anything about it except wanting to watch it, more of it. Stay with me. We'll be right back. They've made many, many movies about aliens, but the question is, are they angelic or demonic? The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took wives of them all they chose. That's Genesis 6, verse 4, and that's the pivotal verse to understanding the true meaning of the flood, and that the sons of God were in fact angels, rebel angels who rebelled against God, took human women as wives, and their offspring were the Nephilim giants. There's a verse in Daniel chapter 2 uh, where it says that in the end times, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And I believe that's a reference to this attempt by the fallen angels to try and mingle their seed once again. Why would an alien or demon want to abduct somebody or cause them to have this experience. What that does is it makes the abductee feel very special and very important. I have worth, I have purpose. Here's this alien who most people don't even know exists and he chose me. Right. He chose me right. to be the protector and guardian of this information. Right. Uh, you had this this gentleman and he was implanted many, many years ago mm -hmm. by demonic forces. Yeah, demonic okay. forces. This guy was implanted and taken, abducted when he was five years old and implanted. Wow. Um, you could cut this one with a razor knife, but implant 16, you could only cut it with a laser beam. So there's an evolution of these things. So when we actually extracted the implant from uh, patient number 17, that was all done on film. We saw it on x-ray, CAT scan, 
uh, ultrasound. It was giving off a, a radio frequency, a Gauss meter reading of 8.0. We have no idea what we're looking at. So they could be doing it now. They probably it's, are doing it's, it now. There's no doubt in my mind. What would happen to the state of the church if the government were to come out with some kind of an alien disclosure? saying these are our cosmic brothers and sisters. They've been visiting us for thousands of years. They've been giving us technology. You know, right. here they are. They look like us. They're in the, they're in the flesh. Right. That sounds absolutely fantastic to us, but this is what was happening in Genesis 6.